chapter 2, and that is on page 857, 857. Luke chapter 2, reading from verse 21. Let's hear the word of God. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Well, let's pray and ask God to help us as we look at these verses, something of them, this morning. Father, thank you for Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for the record of what happened that day in Jerusalem. And we pray now as we look at them together that you'll help us appreciate their inclusion in Scripture. And Lord, we pray for the children as well as they meet in the other room, that they there also would be blessed by this Holy Spirit, that he would give to them also that spirit of, of, of revelation, that illumination to be able to understand what you have written in Scripture. Lord, may we all grow in our appreciation of Jesus. May we take in more of his glory, and may we praise you for him. We ask for this in his name. Amen. Well, when we think of the Christmas nativity story, 
<coughs> we immediately uh, think of characters like Joseph and Mary, like the angel Gabriel, like the shepherds and the three wise men, the magi who came from the east. Even the animals in this stable would normally get a mention before Simeon and Anna. But actually in the, chron the chronology of the story, Simeon and Anna are far more closer to the event <coughs> than the Magi were. It's very likely the Magi didn't arrive in Bethlehem with their gifts until uh, Christ was at least one year old. Whereas when Simeon and Anna meet the Lord Jesus, Luke tells us, verse 22, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. According to Leviticus 12, they did all of this because of Leviticus 12. The time of their purification would have been only 40 days after Mary had given birth to Jesus. And yet, Simeon and Anna are never mentioned in a nativity play. And I'm just nodding at Eddie for next year's nativity play. Why not be radical <laughs> and write our own nativity, as it were, to include Simeon, even just Simeon? But, but we never, have you ever been to a nativity where Simeon is mentioned in it? Is there ever a Christmas card where Simeon, that scene of Jerusalem, is on the front of it. It's unusual, very unusual. So we're going to look at Simeon this morning as we conclude our Christmas series. Simeon's experience of Christmas and how he responded to Christ being born. The setting is, of course, the temple in Jerusalem. But why was this little family there in the first place. That's our first point this morning, the old covenant rituals fulfilled in Jesus, verses 21 to 24. You see, Luke is wanting to show us the, the simple, honest piety of this little family. Do you see how often he, he mentions that phrase, according to, according to, they did this, they do that, according to, verse 22, again verse 24, 27, 39, 42, verse 23, it says, as it is written. This is the beginnings of a family. And straight away, the, the parents, as they're known as, of the Lord Jesus, they're carrying out their responsibilities according to Scripture. There they are. Jesus is hardly a few days old, and yet there they are doing what God said they ought to do. Circumcising him, performing their purification ritual, consecrating their firstborn child to the Lord. But this little family is doing everything as God had commanded for every family then to do. So there's a lesson there, I hope, even a New Year's resolution for families, even very young families, right from the very beginning, to be doing family according to what God has said, according 
to the Scriptures. The roles and the responsibilities of parents, the, the father, the mother, distinct roles, distinct functions within the family, but fulfilling those functions, those roles as per Scripture. To be as Joshua famously stated, Joshua 24, verse 15, that whatever or whoever else is doing family that way, we're going to do it this way. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But also as we look at what they do, in a sense, what they do, it's really surreal, really. I'm gonna, I want to highlight that this morning. It is really surreal. First of all, look at verse 21. You see there how they circumcise the Lord Jesus Christ. Circumcision, of course, takes us back to the Old Testament, to Genesis 12 or Genesis 15, Genesis 17, where God reveals and affirms his covenant of grace to Abraham. That Abraham would be the father of the covenant community, a community out of which all the nations of the world would be blessed. And as a sign of that covenant, all of Abraham's male descendants and their servants were to be circumcised. That was the law, the old covenant law. And look here at how the Lord Jesus himself is given that sign. The very sign that pointed to him. The one seed of Abraham who brings that promised blessing the one to fulfill the promises that Abraham had been told of, the one for whom Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to his coming. He saw it and was glad, Jesus tells the crowd in John 8, 56. Isn't this somewhat surreal that Jesus is circumcised as the sign and seal of Abraham's faith in him is given to him? Secondly, they perform the ritual for their purification, verses 22 to 24. As I said, Leviticus 12 describes the detail for us of a, a woman having to perform this after giving birth. According to the old covenant law, having a baby meant that Mary was now ceremonially unclean. Uh, that meant, or one of the things it meant was one of the uh, ramifications of that was that you had to stay away from the temple where God's presence was represented. So, so Mary gives birth to Jesus. Mary gives birth to Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And the law says that until she's been ritually purified, she has to stay away from God, even though she holds Emmanuel in her arms. The whole family comes to offer up what we might describe as the poor man's sacrifice, the two doves to make them clean again in God's eyes. When the child who made them ceremonially unclean was the one who came into the world to do what? To make his people completely clean before God. Not a bit surreal, it's strange. 
And then thirdly, there's consecration, verse 23. Since Jesus was Mary's first male child, then according to, again, old covenant law, she had to consecrate Jesus to the Lord. In effect, it's a dedication of their firstborn to God. It all stems back to the Passover, to Exodus 13. The Israelites are leaving Egypt and to escape God's judgment on all the firstborn in Egypt, they are told to kill the Passover lamb. Um, that old ritual, you can read it for yourself. We haven't time this morning, but they, they take the blood of that lamb and they smear it over the doorposts, over the lintel of the home. And, and they're, they're safe under the blood of the lamb. The lamb's life, as it were, was given in the place of the firstborn within that home. And so to commemorate that event, every firstborn had to be redeemed. They had to be ransomed. Uh, an amount of money was given for them. And you can read of that in Exodus 13, Numbers 18 as well. But again, can you see here how how marvelous this situation is in that Joseph and Mary are redeeming the life of their child when in fact he, he the true Passover lamb, came into the world to redeem their lives. Not with money, as Peter goes on to say, 1 Peter, not as they do here. Apparently they would have paid five shekels of silver. But Christ came to redeem them with his life, with his blood on the cross. So these three rituals happen, circumcision, purification, consecration. They happen as this family faithfully does as Scripture tells them to do. But rituals that are fulfilled in the person of this child, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, I, I wonder, did they get it? I don't think they did get it. I presume they didn't get it. They didn't appreciate the significance of what they were doing, but they still did it. They still did it. And I think there is something of application there again for us this morning. Those of us with family, those of us with children still dependent upon us, as it were, just follow the Bible. Just follow the Bible. You may not get it all. You may not understand it all. But just do it. By faith, believe it's the right thing to do. It's the wise thing to do. And follow it. Follow God's pattern as he lays it out for us in Scripture. And pray and trust and wait that God would bless you in that. Secondly then, let's look at what Simeon says to the Lord. I wonder how you, pitch, how you picture this man, Simeon, in your mind's eye. As Sandra said, it doesn't mention anything in the text about his age, but from what's described here of him, my gut after Christmas and everything else still tells me I think he's an older man an older sort of gentleman. 
What we do know is, as he's described there in verse 25, as righteous and devout. This is how he lived before God, you see. Here was a man who feared God. Here was a man who obeyed God. He loved, he honored the Lord in how he lived out his life. We're also told that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was like that group of people we hear of now and again in the early chapters of the Gospels, like Anna herself, like Joseph of Arimathea. These were people who were waiting for the consolation of Israel. Even near the end of our reading this morning in verse 28, all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon belonged to what has been referred to as the company of the hopeful. The company of the hopeful. Those who had read the scriptures, those who believed the scriptures, and so they were waiting for the fulfillment of the scriptures, what God had promised to Abraham. They were members of this unique covenant community. Out of all the communities of the world, this community, this covenant community, this was the one out of which Christ would come. This was the one out of which a Savior would come. And so they longed for that age. They longed for the day when their true king would reign. I, I'm sure I've shared this with you before. We, we were in Israel many, many years ago. And we were taken to a place where apparently King David's body is buried I'm not quite sure if that's completely true, but anyway, that's where they believed it was. And I can still see, just thinking of what these people were like in Simeon's day, waiting for their Messiah to come. I saw Jews waiting by the tomb of King David. And they were evidently emotional people reading the Psalms and praying and bobbing up and down, all of that desperately longing for the Messiah to come. Because they believed that when the, the David-like king would come, then them living in that obviously tense situation in the Middle East, they believed that would all come to an end because this promised king would bring salvation and peace. Well, in his day, Simeon longed for that day, for the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and all that the coming of Christ would bring. We're also told that the Holy Spirit was upon him, enabling him, influencing him. So what a marvelous summary of a godly man. What an aspiration for each of us as we press on into the new year. To be known as to be referred to as, like Simeon, righteous and devout, looking forward to the Lord's coming, filled with the Holy Spirit. Here was someone who, we could say, walked with God. And so in that state of communion with God, the Holy Spirit, we read in verse 26, revealed or had revealed this promise to Simeon, that Simeon would not die until he had seen the Christ. In a sense, Simeon's life had become in itself a sign, 
that the Christ had not yet come, for as long as Simeon was alive, then he hadn't yet seen with his eyes what he believed in his heart. And that's why he was the man he was. He was a righteous and devout man. He lived his life in the light of that first advent. He knew it was coming. He believed it was coming. And therefore, he lived each day in the build-up to that day, holy, devout, and righteous. It's the same way that Simon Peter calls us now to live. As we live in the light of the second coming. Simeon lived like that in the light of the first coming. And we are now called to live devoutly, righteously, and so on and so forth, in the light of the second coming. For we know it's coming, don't we? The Holy Spirit convinces us of that. According to Scripture, we know He's coming. Peter writes to Peter 3.11, What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord. And speed its coming, he says. And speed its coming? Can we make it come quicker? Seemingly, if the Lord will not come back until all his elect are saved, what ought we to do? Evangelize. Reach as many people as we can with the message of Jesus Christ. That through our evangelism, God will reach all his people. For the sooner he does that, the sooner, seemingly, he will come again. So we live in the light of that coming again. Simeon lived a holy, ungodly life in anticipation of seeing the Lord. It's very similar to how the hymn writer Fanny Crosby lived. She was blinded in childhood. And yet, though blind, she had this rare depth of perception. She had that same sort of anticipation for Christ's second coming as Simeon had for Christ's first coming. In one of her hymns, she writes, Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall awake within the presence of the King, and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. That was the hope that Fanny Crosby had. It's so similar to what Simeon had. It's similar again to what Job had. With all his suffering, all his difficulty he had in life. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes, and I am overwhelmed at the thought, he writes. This is the hope that all of us ought to have as we enter into a new year. Might this be the year? Might this be the year our Lord comes again? And if so, 
How will I live then this new year? But then one day when Simeon had been longing for, it finally comes. And I wonder, did he begin that day any differently? We have a routine, don't we, most mornings? I wonder, did he go through his routine thinking, something, I feel different today. Something's different. I feel something's going to happen today. We have no idea whatsoever. But he has such a close communion with the Lord. He's in the Spirit, as we would say, and prompted by the Spirit, he comes to the temple. Now, I don't know whether he came to the temple every day. We don't know that. But today, he feels compelled to go to the temple. And we some of us know what that feels like, don't we? To experience that strange inner compulsion. To go somewhere or to do something, to, to contact someone. But, but out of nowhere, suddenly we feel this urge, I'm going to do that today. It's wonderful when it happens, for it reminds us that we belong to a living God. A God whose spirit dwells within us. A God who is at work within us, reminding us and leading us and ministering to us. Surely it inspires us to pursue this ever deeper relationship with the living Lord. Simeon that day is compelled to go to the temple. And again, we wonder what was he expecting to see? Was he expecting to see someone you know, this is the Messiah. This is the one they, the nation has been waiting for. Was he expecting to find someone like, like Saul had been described? This tall, handsome man, evidently a leader, evidently on the outside a king? Was he expecting someone like David? A, a, a sort of good-looking leader who could sing. And yet in the temple, what does he meet but this pair of nobodies? This poor people. Remember, the Magi haven't come yet with their gift of gold. These are poor people. Poor people with their one child in a temple that's presumably busy with people walking around, networking, going all over the place. There, Simeon comes to this little family. And his eyes look down on their child. And something within him says, this is the one. This is the Christ. And he gets to see the Christ. Not only does he get to see him, but he gets to hold him. Verse 28, he picks the child up in his arms. It's a profoundly dramatic scene in probably a busy temple with people there to worship God. But there, whatever other people are doing that day, there we have this little bubble of three adults and one child. A temple busy with people seeking God, pursuing a closer relationship with God. Not even the religious leaders there that day seem to get it, but just Simeon. It's him who realizes who this child is and what 
this child will become. And now that he has seen the Lord, it's now that he's able to die. Apparently, when the Dutch painter Rembrandt died unexpectedly, age 63, there was an unfinished painting still sat on his easel. If you Google it, you'll read the story. Apparently, he painted two scenes of Simeon in the temple discovering the Lord Jesus Christ. His first painting is a a much, much larger painting showing the whole family, showing religious leaders there, showing the temple and other people there. It's a much bigger, much wider scale of a painting, whereas here his second painting simply focuses on Simeon's emotion as he holds the baby Christ Jesus. And one art critic describes the painting like this, all the painter gives us is a picture of an old man at the end of his days seeing the Christ before his maker calls him home. The old cleric smiles down on the child who looks back up at him. Simeon's hands are pressed together in prayer. The third and only other figure in the painting is draped in shadow as a way of highlighting just how intimate this moment is between Simeon and the Messiah he is holding. Some art experts believe that Rembrandt sensed the end of his life was near, and so like Simeon, he was ready to depart in peace. He resonated with this scene of Simeon, hence his painting of that scene. But Simeon wasn't having held the child in his arms, looking for the glory days of the past. Rather, Simeon was looking forward to the glory days of the Messiah, the one who was to come and redeem all nations. And here in just this little little baby, he sees that promised salvation. It's quite remarkable, I think, when you think of what Simeon's doing here, how just holding a baby in his arms, I don't know if you've held Cleo yet, just a baby, just a fragile little thing. Simeon can hold this child in his arms and say, right, I'm happy to die now because I've seen the Christ, and I now know that this Christ having come, he will fulfill everything that you read of in the Old Testament. It is profound faith, I think. Profound faith. That this child, in this child, was the consolation of Israel. That this child, verse 32, was to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. It's a massive faith of Simeon's. It wasn't simply that he would come for Israel, but this global aspect of his faith is something we, we don't hear in any of the nativity songs, for example. In Elizabeth's song, in Zechariah, even in Mary's song. But it's Simeon who, by faith, enabled by the Holy Spirit, can see that in this child there are much wider, much fuller implications of salvation for the world. He's the Savior 
of the world, just as Isaiah said he would be, bringing God's salvation to the ends of the world. He's as John the Baptist could see with his eyes of faith. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of what? Israel? The world. Yes, he did come for Israel. He came to his own, and his own did not then receive him. We hope they will. We trust they will. We hope that God will do a work yet amongst Christ's own people, if I can call them that. But Jesus has come for whosoever will believe on him, whether they live in Israel or in Biker. But whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so until that last day, Jesus is building this, this international covenant community that whoever hears the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and believes the gospel that comes in that name, they are included in his family. Then thirdly, as we close, just quickly too, we have the words that Simeon has for Mary. And there is a sense here that Simeon's tone changes. As he blesses God in verse 28, there's a tone of, of happiness. There's a tone of contentment. I'm now ready to die. I, I can die now because the one I've been waiting for has finally come. But then as he turns to the family, as he blesses them, but then speaks to Mary, you sense Simeon's tone becomes more somber, becomes more serious. There are two things he says. The first thing relates to her son in her arms. The second thing relates to her personally. First of all, Simeon tells Mary the effect her son will have on others. And he's, she's told he will bring division. Verse, 20, verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The Lord Jesus would raise up the humble and the lowly. He would grant salvation to them, but his coming would also declare judgment on the proud, on the self-righteous. He himself would be criticized. He himself would be ridiculed. And we find, don't we, for example, in John's gospel, I think it is, he's even, he's even said by the religious leader to be working for Beelzebub. That's how much he was rejected. But he was appointed to this, you see. Isaiah said that was what happened. Despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised, and we didn't care. Yet, he writes, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. This was the child's destiny. 
This child is appointed for this role. We're told that God so loved the world that he sent his son. There was purpose to all of it. This was the working out of God's covenant of grace that was planned in eternity past. A plan shown to Adam and Eve there in the garden when they rebelled and sinned. From now on, God told the snake, the devil, you and the woman will be enemies and your seed and her seed will be enemies. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This was the covenant of grace shown to Abraham and marked with that sign of circumcision. Abraham, we're told in Genesis 22, verse 18, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This was the child's destiny to fulfill God's great plan, a plan of saving people and therefore a plan of separation of people. Some will be saved, those who believe on his name. And those who don't believe, those who won't believe, they will be left behind. And finally, the second thing Mary hears is how her own son will affect her. How all of this will break her heart like a, like a sword driven right into her soul. And she would see that in how her son was rejected any of us who have children, we hate the thought of our children being rejected, being thought ill of, even as adults. It breaks our heart to think of that. And yet, Mary seen this day after day. And yet, ultimately, she would see him hang on a cross. Mary would see her dear son bruised and beaten, bleeding and dying. She would see her son naked and scorned as he hung there dying in the place of sinners. We think of Jesus at this Christmas time as a babe in the arms of Mary, and that's fair enough. But we look back at that scene through the cross, through the cross of Jesus Christ, even through the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Even today, through Christ seated in glory, King Jesus Christ, seated there for you and for me. He has come, he has gone through death, he has died for sin that we could be saved and forgiven of all our sin. He has conquered death, he is seated in heaven, and one day he's coming back. And I hope because of Christmas, we believe he's coming back. I hope we are. I hope we are. I hope you are. I hope you know this Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I hope you know him more than just a picture on a card or a nice theme and a carol. But you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as your personal Lord. And that you're trusting him that when he comes again, he won't come as a baby, but he'll come as a king to save all his people who today are trusting in his name. May God make us ready for that glorious day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, this Christmas season, to remember, to rehearse the details of what happened. 
We thank you, Lord, for inclusion, including Simeon in that story. And we thank you, Lord, for what you have shown us this morning of that man, a man who lived in faith, who believed what you said you would do would indeed happen. Lord, make us such people of faith who not simply believe that Christ is coming back, but whose daily lives show that we believe he's coming back. May we be increasingly holy, devout, righteous people, filled with the Holy Spirit, anticipating the return of our Savior. Grant us such grace, we pray. But we ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior.